This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. One year. 52 films. And only a handful are going to outer space. This is the Unspooled Season 2 Wrap-Up. My wife... And welcome to Unspooled. Unspooled. I'm Amy Nicholson. And I am Paul Shear. And this is the show where we are trying to find the 100 best movies of all time. Now, often on the show, you will hear us speak about putting together a master list and then blasting that master list off to space. Once a year, Amy and I sit down and we look at our list. At the end of season one, we cut down the AFI list from 100 to 40 films and now we have 52 films in front of us. And Amy, we're going to do it again. We are only sending a select few to outer space. Oh, I am ready, man. I'm ready. I feel like battle tested, covered in ash. I'm, I'm ready to do some slashing and burning, which is brutal well, because we picked these films. We picked these films as good films. I got to say. Them, and now we have to say goodbye. Amy, I, I normally think of you as the person who is willing to slash and burn. But I was very, very Thank shocked. You. That's very, very, kind. <laughs> very shocked to find that I had nine films. That was it. Nine. I padded my list to match your 13, but I only had nine. So that's how rough I was in coming into this thing. Look at you. You've gotten yeah. so brutal. I'm really I proud. really did. I really did. I really thought about it. And look, I can be swayed. I have a couple of things uh, back and forth. But man, oh man, it was, it was easy and hard to cut this list. I want to hear your experience with it. I'll just quickly tell you where I was having a little bit of trouble was in the romantic comedy section. I felt like that was a really hard one to kind of pick 
what was really representative. And then on top of that, when I looked at my list, it felt very 80s to me. Mm -hmm. And that was problematic to me as well because it's like, oh, I don't want this list to, I don't want these movies that we all put up to just be representative of my youth because exactly. obviously I'm committed to these movies, but I, I was really wrestling with a lot of stuff. And so I put one, yeah, there's a lot of things I want to talk about. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest that when we get to some of the ones on my 13 list, I'm just going to toss them right out because I don't even believe in four of them. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, then let's get into it. I mean, to recap what we've been through this year, we've gone through an entire year of exploring different corners of cinema that we felt like should be represented in the greatest movies of all time. We went through them as miniseries. We started yep. with Back to School. So we did a lot of kid films. Mm -hmm. We did horror, personal mm -hmm. favorite of mine. We did effed up family films. Then we did a series we called Couple Goals, films mm -hmm. about romance, but not necessarily like, yay, they're together forever. Right. Then we did... Sports films based on true life, like the true agony of what happens when people go head to head. After that, we did space itself since space has been on our mind and we closed it out with summer blockbusters. And I want to say, Paul, I feel exactly the same way to you because it was very easy in season one to sit back and be like, these guys from the AFI, they only like the same five people. They only like films from when they were kids or they were growing up in the industry. Everything's the 60s and the 70s. Blah, 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 blah. War movie, war movie, war movie, Western, Western, Western. And then I look at my list and I'm like, oh God, what if you are as limited in your love? And so- right. I found myself yeah. being, uh, you know, falling victim to movies that made a very strong impression on me. And that is the hardest part of this exercise. And obviously, I know that there's going to be a lot of sticklers out there going, well, you haven't really explored the world of film. And that is true. Like, we, we are touching into it occasionally. And I think it's something that we... We're, we're figuring it out. We got a long way to go. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about where we're going. We're, we're getting through it. But um, right now we're talking about where we've been, man. Exactly. Where we've been. I mean, so we have our lists. We know our lists. We have them in front of us now. And I'm surprised at some of the stuff here. I see yours. I mean, how do you want to break it down? Now, I will also say that we, as always, uh, will bring in our producer and our engineer, uh, Devin and Josh, to also weigh in because they have been, uh, you know, they've they've had a lot of strong opinions as well. They've sat here, they've listened to us, and I feel like it's always good to hear them kind of share where they are at as well. Exactly. Uh, Devin and Josh have been so strong with us helping shape our individual miniseries, mm -hmm. what to include. Uh, in fact, we've been talking about what we're going to do in our series after this to kick off season three and I just want to give a shout out to Devin because, man, he got some twisted picks that are right up my alley when we get back into horror. Yeah. But that will all come in the future. I, maybe where we start with this. What we did, Paul and I, our, um, our rationale to get some choices going is we both individually did our own list. I had 13, as, as, as Paul mentioned, Paul had mm -hmm. nine. Um, then he added 13, uh, around 13 to be as cool as me. And then blindly, we had them compiled together and wherever we overlapped... I feel like we can both say strongly, if we agreed on something, if we picked films that agreed out of this grand landscape of 52, that's a strong case for that one going into into, into outer space. Exactly. And if you want to know where we are right now, uh, if you go to unspooledpod.com, there's our current list. Uh, we won't go through them right now because there's 40 films there. and But I'm going to pull it up because we might want to kick something off 
that list. I want to just open that up to make sure that that is available to us. If Do we find something better? Do we find something that is, you know, uh, more worthy of taking one of those 40 spots? So we don't have to just say that these 40 are cemented in eternity. And I think that that's been something that you and I both have uh, talked about. Like we are always open to pushing and pulling things off the list. Yeah, it's incredibly true because there's directors that have films on the AFI list that we like that maybe we could replace with other ones. And there's directors that at the end of this year have made it onto my list or have made it close to my, to getting on my list. But the only hesitation is, are there better films by that well, director that I'd rather represent? Instead, okay, I can see you want to get into this. Uh, no, I'm going to say I think <laughs> that you and I were probably on the same page because there's two... I think there's two omissions, or maybe one omission from me, but well, we'll get into those two. I think I know what we're talking about and maybe kind of just jump out and say Wes Anderson and the Coen brothers. Like Those are major. Yeah. yeah. Because we did. I want them on the list. Exactly. In the films that we picked in this last year for Wes Anderson, we picked uh, The Royal Tenenbaums. For the Coen brothers, we picked Raising Arizona, both films I love deeply, but it is hard to press that button. It's really hard to press yes. that button when there's so much of them that you love. Well, and that was the kind of question I was talking about. Do we put it on the list as a placeholder and then let it get knocked off organically if we watch something else? But there was there is something about it. And I'll just jump in and just say one of the ones I wrestled with was the Royal Tenenbaums. I love the Royal Tenenbaums. But then I'm like, well, is Rushmore better than the Royal Tenenbaums? And then... I started to think about, you know, the Grand Budapest Hotel. And then I was like, oh, what what is the perfect Wes Anderson? We've had this conversation. And I and I do believe I love I mean, and I love the Royal Tenenbaums. It's a great, great movie. I'm just I was really on the fence. If that is if we can only take one, is that the one? And if we're just using it as a placeholder, then absolutely. Yes. But when I was putting together my list, I wasn't quite sure that that is better than Rushmore or Grand Budapest Hotel. I don't know. I mean, they're, it's very close to me. Yeah. Very close. I mean, for me, I would hands down say Grand Budapest Hotel is my favorite Wes Anderson film. Mm. I feel like that is the one where his visual aesthetic actually combines with the meaning of the film and they form to create an even greater whole. So it doesn't mm. feel just like cute for the sake of cute. Right. As much as I was happy to rewatch Royal Tenenbaums and like, rediscover what I loved about that film before I got so sick of people dressing up like it for Halloween. That was important. But yeah, so that one is a huge question mark for me. The other one is Raising Arizona, yep. the film that we talked about, because I mean, my problem with the Coens is every single time I watch a Cohen film, that is my favorite Cohen film. And it will right. stay my favorite Cohen film until I watch another Cohen film. And then that will be my favorite Cohen film. So it's a, this moving target. You know, I feel like I'm shooting at a bunch of spinning plates that are being thrown up in the air when it comes to deciding what Cohen well, film I want to be on the list. We only have two directors currently on the list that uh, have two slots. And we were very aware of giving directors one slot because we really wanted to put the pressure on us. And I know a lot of people have an issue with this. Like they don't like that we are narrowing it down to one. But I think that that's part of the fun of this show is that we are forcing ourselves in a hole. Like if you could only like you can make you can have a restaurant that has amazing dishes, but you have to pick the best one. It's not saying the other ones are bad. It's just saying we are we are forcing ourselves to pick a last meal. Our last meal can't be every meal, even though I think a lot of people do get like pizza and McDonald's and sushi. But 
let's not, you know, again, I don't know much <laughs> about death row uh, meals. I'm sure there's millions of podcasts about it. I'm sure there's at least three. No. But um, now you've got me thinking about going to buffets, which I miss so deeply. Oh, I do too. Oh, I do miss I a do buffet. Too. So right now, when we look at the previous list that we're coming into this episode with, the 40 that we have culled it down to, impressively, we have managed to keep it to only two directors having two films each on the list. One of them mm. is Kubrick. Kubrick has Dr. Strangelove and he has 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, we have not yet been able to tear ourselves in half and just pick one of them to go forth. And the second one who has two films on the list is Hitchcock. He's got Vertigo and he's got Rear Window. And Again, I will say that the Coen brothers feel like, and I'm sure people are going to be so mad because we're not saying this about Spielberg. And I will say, I feel like I am much more like the shaved head military hard ass about trying to keep one director to one film on the mm -hmm. list. But those ones, I think the reason I'm dragging my feet is because these are examples of directors whose body of work has such a range from drama to absolute on spectacle to comedy. And it is hard to decide what element of them to pick. I'm not quite there yet. And honestly, I believe the Coens kind of fall into that same type of director category. They are I so agree. good at drama. They are so good at comedy. I think I went, I mean, I could be happy in a world where we just had Raising Arizona on the list because I think it captures so much of what they do so well. It has so much heart. I agree. And it is so beautiful, but I'm not ready to pull that trigger. I felt exactly the same. Now, people are probably screaming about, well, why don't you feel the same way about Spielberg? And I'm here to say, I do. I think that Spielberg's body of work is equally impressive to Kubrick and Hitchcock and the Coens in the sense of it's so incredibly diverse and groundbreaking. Um, and we really were hard on him the last time. We cut about five of his movies off and we only kept E.T. as the ultimate articulation of what Spielberg is. I still believe that that is true. Um but, you know, we have the Jaws Jurassic Park debate. There's a lot there's a lot going on there. We have a lot in front of us here. Um, and uh, I guess we should maybe get into what we agree about right now, because I think that would be the easier part of this conversation. OK, let's do it. Let's All do right. it. So you want to just announce them? Want to trade off the yeah. nine films that we agreed on? Can I just say how wonderful it is to agree with you? I I felt really excited that our list matched up pretty, pretty good. Yeah, it made me feel doubly confident in my picks. By the way, how many picks matched up? Nine. How many did I pick? Nine. <laughs> so let's, there you go. Let's be declarative about our nine. These are going in. We did it, mm -hmm. man. I am very proud. You want to just trade off announcing them? Yep. Okay. And these are unranked, but they just right. happen to be our agreements. Number one, Back to the Future. Yep. In. I think that we talked about this movie a lot before. It held up. It's great. It's, I believe, the only time travel film on our list right now. Uh, so, uh, welcome to the list, uh, time travel. And yes. a, a big kind of modern comedy, too. We don't really have a modern comedy on our list so Exactly. Far. So, welcome with, can I say, an asterisk, just in case we do Roger Rabbit wow. and it does knock it off. Okay. Okay? okay. Well, you can say it. You can say it all you want. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Night of the Living Dead. I mean, that was a no-brainer for me. Absolutely a no-brainer for me. I mean, to have a film, an indie film, with mm -hmm. such just like energy and such staying power in the culture, so much to say, I think, about about fear and the way people react to each other in times of crisis, 
uh, 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 this conversation was one of my favorite conversations we had this whole year. I totally agree. Um, all right, number three. The Princess Bride. All right. So I wrestled with this pick because I love this movie, but I was really trying to look at it in the list. Is it one of the best films? And I think what stuck out to me about it and why it it edged up on my list was because it is a very different film than what we have. It kind of captures a lot of the swashbuckling a fairy tale world that we that's not represented. It's a genre of film that I think is done really, really well here. Uh, and it seems incredibly unique to me. So that's what edged it forward. And I have to say over When Harry Met Sally, which is another Rob Reiner film. I hear that. I came down to the same decision. I thought when we started this year, When Harry Met Sally was going to be a natural in. Absolutely. But when I really laid them end to end, to me, The Princess Bride is one of those films that I, I actually put it kind of closer into the world of, say, A Wizard of Oz, where it is just a perfect classic. It is just mm-hmm. perfect. It is just perfect as it is. And right now on our list, like A Wizard of Oz is number two as one of those films that just, it just is cinema to me. And The Princess mm-hmm. Bride is that. Like on our episode, I said that if if I was stuck on a desert island with only one movie I could bring with me forever, it would probably be The Princess Bride because I think it has everything, I've, everything in every good movie done perfectly. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I would put this up there as like, and I'm trying to see through like my 80s nostalgia of being a kid. I think I would put this up there as a classic in that same world of Wizard of Oz. I I fully hear that. Um, and then another movie that we both agreed on, it's our fourth pick, was actually a very easy pick for me in the sense that when we talked about back to school movies, we were talking about what is the perfect coming-of-age film. And I think we saw many things, and I'm going to include House Party in that discussion as well. Uh, I really, I actually wrestled with House Party because I was like, oh, this actually represents, you know, visually something that we don't even have on the list. But at the end of the day, when I was really thinking about the filmmaking of it, I couldn't, I couldn't not put Fast Times at Ridgemont High on this list. Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm the biggest house party champion of all time. Yeah. And and yet, Fast Times at Ridgemont High is, it is an actual, it is a real serious work. Like, I just love this film showing up in the early 80s. I love it as a story about young adulthood. I love it for everything you can see in this film about, like, the economy, about working, about relationships, about a meme that's so relevant today. I mean, we uh, even just recently, somebody tweeted a meme that was a picture of, you know, Damone, the rat who gets Stacy pregnant, and Judge Reinhold, who plays her brother, who drives her to the abortion clinic and said, you know, under the new Texas law, Damone gets Stacy pregnant, ditches her, doesn't take her to get the abortion, and is totally fine. And her brother, who loves her, who drives her to the clinic, is now, like, going to be sued. And huh. this film just stays relevant to me. Well, and also, it welcomes our first female director to our list, which is Um, something that was not uh, something that was happening on the actual AFI list. There are no female directors on the AFI list. So this was one of the first films we did on the on our second season. And it's our first female addition to the list. 
Thank God. Does that get a Brom? Brom. All right. So, um, yeah, no. And I, uh, the other one that I wrestled with in this was Clueless. We're going to get uh, to talk about the ones that have not made it because I want to hear Devin and Josh's opinion about some yeah. of this stuff, too. And but I feel Clueless... like we should say their names one last time as a goodbye. Oh, yeah. Like, goodbye, Clueless. Oh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> no, but I mean, again, Clueless was another one that was... Oh, what do I do? I mean, but it's Amy Heckerling. And I mm-hmm. if I'm picking between two Amy Heckerlings, this is this is the one. Um all right, let's uh okay. let's go forward here and to uh, number five. Yes. The newest film we've talked about, and yet yeah, Fury Road, number mm-hmm. five. We are Absolutely. both completely in agreement with this. I mean, it's epic. It is storytelling, it is visual, it is Mighty, it holds up like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, even and, though and, even though it's recent, it holds up. But I mean, yeah. it is. I think it's one of those films that it's just shocking in how excitingly different it is. And I think very rarely do we see these movies that we can come out of a theater and be like, "Oh my god." I loved it. It was so cool. That sequence was so cool. People really railed on us for not talking about the hallway sequence in Inception. But yes, there's a lot of cool sequences in movies. But this movie, from from T to B, it's got it going on. I mean, this is this is a great this is a great movie. It is. Can I say I enjoy the perversity of putting on the fourth film in a franchise and just being like, yeah, there we go. I, right. I like breaking away from this idea that we have when we create lists that I still fight against, where it's like the first is the best, the one that does it the first is the most important. No, I have a big like, issue with that. Yeah. I yeah. don't think that that's true. Um, which is why I think, you know, not to pull it all in, but why Frankenstein is not on our list. You know, we watch Frankenstein and Frankenstein is sets the tone and we love, I mean, again, we love these movies. So it's not about what is good. It's just simply what fits on this list. And and just because it's the first doesn't always mean it's, yeah, it's the best. It, yeah. People can improve upon, and even directors who've made their own films can improve upon themselves. I agree. This is your argument for Jurassic Park. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Take us to number six. Tokyo Story. Um, Tokyo Story was a movie that I'd never seen and I was really blown away by. And I think similar to Fast Times, it captures a universal truth about families and age and death. And it also opens up our list to a little bit more of an international appeal. Uh, but I really, I have thought about this movie a lot. I really like this movie. Um, and I think it is uh, a beautiful, a beautiful, uh, a beautiful family film. And I'm happy that we're getting uh, Yasujiro Ozu on the list. Mm-hmm. Like, he is such an epic f- uh, filmmaker uh, from Japan. This movie, I think, to me represents like a moment in the 50s when we were really reaching out and kind of starting to discover more world cinema again in this mm-hmm. country. Like his stuff is so influential. I felt like when we watched Tokyo Story for this episode, you could see how it ricocheted through every single film in that series that like every filmmaker, I think, was kind of using it as a touchstone or like it was influenced by the films that was influenced by it. It felt like such a landmark moment you know i i really i'm really proud to welcome this one to the list absolutely i mean that was kind of a no-brainer one for me as well uh and i also wrestled a little bit with the farewell because i really liked the farewell and i like that story of going home and being 
divorced from a culture. I thought that was an interesting story as well, but this one just felt like it had uh, more permanent to me, uh, Tokyo Story. I just also love the way it was directed. Um, I agree. And I'm glad to welcome our first foreign language film to the list. Yes. And uh, so as we're announcing our first, this is another first coming up, our next film. All right. All right. Our number seven film on the list, our first documentary, Hoop Dreams. Yes. This was the audience pick for a True Life Sports Stories segment. And it is just, it is just to me like one of the landmark documentaries and watching two young kids both loving basketball, both talented at basketball, grow up and deal both with the limits of their own athleticism, the limits of where their talents, which seems so bright and un- absolutely boundless when they're young, wrestling with how life shoves you in different directions. It's it's absolutely beautiful. It's a documentary that I think plays with the big scale of fiction. It feels you get so invested in these characters and this is the kind of documentary filmmaking that I, I really am drawn to, really character-focused documentaries where you love people and in loving these people that you're watching, get such an insight into how our world and our culture works that it's just endlessly interesting to talk about. And I'm so glad that uh, that we both voted it on. Yeah, no, again, the sports series, as far as like the people who listened to the show, was not a hit series. People did not like this series, but they loved this movie. And I will say that looking at our sports picks, I think we tried to find a bunch of different ones, but I don't think we have mastered that series. I also feel like people checked out in that series, which was really interesting because I always feel like that's a a topic that always feels like a no-brainer, like everyone loves a sports movie. But uh, it was harder to find something that really kind of connected here. And Hoops Dreams, I think, was the one that emotionally brought everyone in. And if it I did. never have to see Chariots of Fire again, I'll be thrilled. <laughs> oh, God. Except, I mean, everything you're saying is true, except when it comes to our number eight pick, that's also coming from the sports series. You're right. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about this. Well, you know, the reason why I forgot about this as a sports series pick was because this is a movie that we talked about a lot in our first season, um, a movie that we wanted to do. Uh, a director that we wanted to make sure was on the list, and that is Penny Marshall, and the movie is A League of Their Own. Um, So great. We have, uh, I think, again, another female director on the list. Nice. We finally have, uh, we're not anywhere near parody, but we at least have two uh, so far. And and yeah, I love this movie. It's a great movie. I adore it too. I adore adore this movie's like, insight into a moment in history that I think had been really overlooked until this film came out. Like this film helped tell American history better. The whole story of like the female baseball leagues here in the country. I think to me, this film talks about sisterhood, both the people that you're related to and the people that you bond with as your, as your adopted sisters in a way that is not on the list at all. Like I feel like female friendship gets so shortchanged mm-hmm. and to have a film that puts it front and center, women working for a common goal, women working to try to figure out who they want to do with their life, to have a character as complicated and to me frustrating as Dottie, you know, who's good at everything, can't figure out what she values, can't say out loud to her what she wants to do with her life, you know? Like that, a person who I think doesn't do what we want her to do, you know, decides to leave baseball, goes home and gets married, but in that way is truthful to the story of so many women who didn't feel like they could follow their dreams. Like that character breaks my heart. And, and, and at the same time, I love this film for making choices that Penny Marshall did to like not have romance in there for no reason, not make her have to like have an affair with Tom Hanks. Thank God she shot that scene and cut it out. Like mm-hmm. to have like real 
just relationships between people. I hate that it feels as rare as it does. Uh, in that, in that, in a movie like *Leave of Their Own*, it stands out so much because it seems notable. But I'm just, I adore every minute of this film, and also Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell forever. Love them. Uh, you can't beat that. Um, and then our final pick, Amy, bring us home. Dun dun dun. Well, our ninth film. I guess we've really got a Jones for this. Is *Bridesmaids*, a film mm-hmm. that I was shocked that I'm putting it on my list at the end. Like if you had asked me earlier this summer when we were picking out our blockbuster list. I would have said we should probably do Bridesmaids. I guess it's like landmark important, right? Like we always talk about the Bridesmaids effect, blah, 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 blah. We should do it. I felt like it was a should. Mm -hmm. And then re-watching it to divorce myself from the conversation around Bridesmaids and really see that film, to see it beyond like, can we get female numbers high for a female-driven film in a um, box office-wise? Can we get more films like this? To realize we never got more films like this in part because- This is a film so strongly about economic pressures, friendship pressures, really also super character driven, a a character driven comedy with a script that I think is just absolutely unbelievable. You know, there's something about this movie being the last agreed upon one that you and I have, because I think it hits all the beats that we were talking about. There's a universal theme to it. I think that, uh, you know, it also it shows a different side to something. I think it, 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 uh, it just is a, a movie that I think will continue to be relevant. It is a movie that is like very funny on top of that, but it, uh, you know, it has a little bit extra. There's something a little bit extra about it. And I think all of these movies do something that other films have done, but this one just feels like it's going to stand the test of time more than others. And I, and I think that there's, you know, I didn't know if it was just because we just talked about it. And I, then I wrestled with it. I was like, do I really feel that way? And for right now, I do feel that again, looking at the list and also looking at the stories that we have told right now, we are telling some different stories and, and we're telling some stories here. And I I didn't make this my list at all thinking in a way of making it equal or anything. But I think when you look at Back to the Future, Night of the Living Dead, Princess Bride, Fast Times, Fury Road, Tokyo Story, Hoop Dreams and A League of Their Own, and Bridesmaids, we are representing a little bit of a different subsect of culture than we had been in the AFI list. It just feels like, oh, these are different stories that we are telling and highlighting. And I really, um, I don't know if it was just coming off the AFI list, but I'm excited about that. I'm like, oh yeah, this makes it start to feel... Like there's a world outside of just like white men and war and cowboys. Oh, but nothing's more important than white men and war, especially yeah. if they're cowboys at war. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But now we are going to be at war (laughs) because now we have our disagreements. And this is going to be fun because I, I mean, there's a couple things on here that I, I, we got nine. I mean, I don't know how many we want to put on this list. I don't, I don't know. I, I want, you know, I want Josh and Devin to also weigh in at one point to tell you like who, what we have to get on the list. I want to talk about Ganja and Hess, which is an, an episode that not many people listen to, a movie that not many people know. Uh, it was very exciting to have this on. It's kind of a, a spiritual companion to The Night of the Living Dead. And it's so unique and bizarre. And I had people reach out to me and go, well, this is better on how did this get made than unspooled. But there is something about that movie in the last 52 that we've done that I think about all the time. Like, that movie really... Not like, I don't want to say fucked me up, because I think that that's such a, a cheat of a phrase. Like, it just imprinted on me in a way. And I don't want to say it like this, but I'm going to use it as a comparison piece. I firmly believe that on this list of 100 films, The Room, the Tommy Wiseau movie, needs to be on this list. And I say it, and I said it before, and I'll say it again, because when you make something that is so universally um like they they call it the worst the best worst movie ever made i believe that is also worth studying as well like there is something about it that makes it unique i'm not saying put you know gary Busey's the gingerbread man on here i'm saying the room has captured something unique and i feel like i want to also represent something that is incredibly unique and that we have a whole episode about Ganja and Hess, but that was a movie that really, I know it's not going to go on the list, but I wanted to just at least talk about it one more time. And as Molly just corrected me, it's called the ginger dead man, not the gingerbread man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you're not alone in feeling that way. You know, one of the things I did to prepare for this episode is when I realized this morning where we didn't overlap, like the eight films that like together we picked that the other person didn't pick your four and my four. Yeah. I went and I looked at our audience um, voting poll for how they felt about that film. Um, and what did they think? Cause I was thinking like, well, I want to have our audience input in here as a tiebreaker. And I will say um, of your picks that I did not also pick, there's a lot more support for Ganja and Hess than there was for, and I'll spoil any other picks now, Jurassic Park. That's really interesting. I'm just looking at this now. 82% thought that Ganja and Hesh should be on the list. So I feel really vindicated right now. I did not see that right now. I'm just really excited that that Ganja and Hess got a little bit of representation because I do also believe that as we're creating this list, it captured something very different. I mean, it was a, a movie unlike anything else on that list. Like right now, it's unlike anything else on this list. And now I feel like, Maybe I should argue to keep this on the list. I don't know. 
I mean, I maybe know. you should. Like, I went to, you know, our our listeners' opinions on this to kind of pull some. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Joe Birch said, you know, I loved it. Capital loved. He said, brilliant piece of cinema. Honestly, it reminded me of Tarkovsky. It's a real piece of art. A film more about the visuals and the creation of mood with relatively little care for plot and character. This is art house cinema. And it's not going to be for everyone. But I just found this one of the most refreshing and exciting films I've seen for a while. Um, Another person who loved it, Vicky Farmer, she said, there's a lot to unpack in this movie. It's about addiction, diaspora, identity, class. I kept watching, hoping for the next striking scene, because it's very sad that Bill Gunn, the director, um, didn't have the backing of producers who could think out of the box and get his film to the audiences who would appreciate it at the time. You know, this happened in an era in which El Topo became a sensation, and I wish that they had had more faith in the film that Bill Gunn gave them. So there is love. And also Tracy Walker said when she watched it that she feels like she just tripped on acid. Also, also a fair thing for a movie to give an audience. I truly, uh, I truly felt the same way. I was like, what am I watching? And again, it's the same way that I felt about Mad Max where I'm like, uh, Fury Road, where I'm like, I'm just so, I'm leaning in. I know I use that term a lot on this show, but I'm like, I'm leaning in to be like, ooh, I'm fascinated by this movie. So maybe, uh, Maybe we keep in the conversation right now before we kind of, you know, we, we there's some love. So now give me one of the ones that, that we don't agree on. Well, one of the ones that we don't agree on that you picked was Home Alone. I did not pick mm-hmm. Home Alone and our listeners, only 61% of them also agreed that Home Alone should be sent up into space. Wow. Pretty low number, uh, comparatively yeah. speaking. Home Alone was definitely one that I felt like... <sighs> I really enjoy and I, you know, I think I was really wanting a John Hughes on this list and it's not a typical John Hughes. I think there'll be a better John Hughes. It's not even a John Hughes movie. It's a John Hughes written movie directed by Christopher Columbus. But there is something about that movie that I don't, that resonates with me and it really grew on me. And now seeing how much my kids love it, I was like, oh, wow, it really transcends time. And there's no movies with kid protagonists. And we, we haven't had that. You know, we're talking about kind of creating a full, you know, a full scope of the human condition. And Ooh. I was like, where, where, is, where is that idea? Like, I think every kid. You mean the torture idea? Well, look, obviously that's in there, but, uh, but I knew that every kid has this kind of fantasy and want and, and, and I think there's something really special about this movie, but I also see why people could turn their nose up at it as well. I won't die on this hill, but Will you I get do a paint think, can to the face for this hill? Um, I mean, look, we did a whole episode on Black Monday this year where we got the script of Home Alone <laughs> and then recreated it in a cabin in the woods, which is one of my favorite dumb jokes of the whole season. But um, Can I yes, say that it, when I watched that episode, because I have watched your whole series and loved yeah. it, that made me laugh and I could, I was really <laughs> just picturing your delight on that set. You know, it was so, I mean, we have like two Home Alone jokes this season <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Like <laughs> one of our characters saw a sneak preview of it. Like, even though it was like months before it actually came out. Uh, but uh all right. I'm gonna let go of Home Alone. I'm gonna let go of it. I, I gave you my reasoning for it, but the audience is against me. I know you're against me. Um, and I believe that there is a John Hughes film in our future on this list, and we just have not found it yet. And and that is if I had to pick a John Hughes movie, that would definitely not be it. And I'd also say if I have to pick a Christopher Columbus movie, uh, I don't know if I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't know. Well, then on that same note, one that I will say goodbye to is one that I think I'm saying goodbye to for reasons we kind of talked about earlier in this episode, which is Raising Arizona. I did pick Raising Mm -hmm. Arizona after all. I do really love that film. Um, Listeners only gave it 67.3% because I think they're feeling that same way that we are wrestling with. Mm -hmm. Like, is this the Cohen? It's just too big of a decision to decide the Cohen. Part yes. of me would be okay putting it on the list with an asterisk saying, you know, an asterisk saying I may die in the future. Right. But also it's not like we're going to forget that we want a Cohen. We know that we want no, a Cohen. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, that was, we talked about it. That's, I wrestled with it. I still think if we want to put it on as a placeholder to know that a Cohen will go on there, I'm fine to do that and just go like at a certain point we can revisit it because we have yet to do another Cohen. So I'm fine to get just get it on the list. If we were to die tomorrow, we have a Coen Brothers movie on the list. I'm fine. I'm fine about that. But it may not be the the final one, the final verdict. That is fair. Are you ready for something really painful for you, though? Yes. Yeah. I think Jurassic Park's going to go, man. I know you've really put in your argument for why Jurassic Park should be on this list over Jaws. But we don't even have Jaws on this list, I'm realizing. Guess what? What? But I'm fine with it. Oh, really? Yep. I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care. I, I literally was going through the list and I was like, nah, I don't yeah. care. I don't think I don't I don't think it needs to be on this list. I don't know what it was. I just yep, I don't care. I know we've made I've made many an argument about this and it actually felt like last night when I was thinking about it, I was like, ah, Jaws or Jurassic Park. And I thought Jaws was on our list. Uh I don't care. I don't care. I don't know why. Right. I don't know why. I'm not going into it more than that. I it, it it hit me last night. I'm like, this is going to be the shocker for Amy. But yeah, no I argument for you. I feel like you just stepped on me with your big Jurassic feet. Um, if you're going to say Jurassic Park or E.T., I'm going to pick E.T. Yeah. hands down anytime. That is, I think completely the rational response. And if you are curious for the number out there, uh, the number of audience people who would have voted Jurassic Park in is 77.5. So a decent number, but everything we're going to talk about now got much more, except for another mm-hmm. one of my picks that has to go because it didn't even have a poll. So I feel a little alone. Um, it is a trip to the moon. I would put a trip to the moon up here in space in a heartbeat, maybe because it's so small, I can just like tack it onto the end credits of some other film somewhere. I don't know, or just say goodbye to it. But I think a trip to the moon's really important. I think that you, I think it is important, but I think when you have 2001, I think that 2001 is ultimately not saying the same thing, but like, look, we, whenever you get to a silent film and what they were able to do and the ideas and the, uh, and, and the, like, it's like reading Jules Verne, right? Very rarely do people say like, oh, Jules Verne is my favorite author, but yet he has been responsible for some of the biggest sci-fi ideas. If you go back, you can find that like he is the, you know, he pushed forward these ideas uh, and he got often gets forgotten about. So I agree with you in the sense of Trip to the Moon is, it creates so many things that we know about space films and it's so many, it's so interesting and so you know, it's 15 minutes or whatever it is. It's very short, 30 minutes. Um, and Melies is like, I think, inventing so much of the language of cinema in this film. Like, I'm putting it on, Amy. But really? You'll do that for me? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because you know what? We talked about the idea that also short films 
don't get enough credit. And you're right, Millier like uh, is not somebody who is represented. And I feel like we need to put him on this <gasps> list. And and I'm I'm going in. Look at me. Oh, I'm making oh. some. My birthday's not even till May. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so there much. There you go. All right. So, all right. So then I'm going to bring up uh, my final one that we disagree on. Uh, well, there's one more that you have that I don't have. And that is um, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day to me was a no brainer in the sense of when I couldn't put Harry Met Sally on the list. And the reason why I actually went to Princess Bride over when Harry Met Sally was because it's like, oh, this is. This is um, a great love story. It's also something that we all wrestle with, like trying to be, uh, you know, perfect or trying to change our ways. Like it was an original story that I feel like people try to copy so much. No one's ever done it quite so well. I think it's one of the best Bill Murray movies. I think it's an amazing Harold Ramis movie. Uh, And this is coming from someone who, if I had my druthers, Ghostbusters would be on this list, but I don't think... Ghostbusters is as good as a film as uh, Groundhog Day as far as what it is in scope and tone and uh, and content. So Groundhog Day to me just feels like, yeah, yeah, like it's a no brainer, but it's not on your list. It isn't on my list, but it came very close to being on my list. I almost put it on my list for you. I was oh, thinking wow. like. I would, I, I, this film means so much to you and rewatching it. I do think it is a marvelous, marvelous movie that I would be more than content for this film to be on the list. And I did also take the liberty of looking at what our listeners thought. They love this film. This film has like 86.2%. That is massive. That is huge. I mean, some of the things people are saying about Groundhog Day, um, Ross Waldorf says, I love this movie with a passion. You Groundhog Day masquerades as a frothy sitcom, the uninspired camera work, the cheesy music, the complete lack of flash. Yes, I did really. We did really rag on that song in this movie. But it is a brilliant and profound work of art. It delves into deep metaphysical and existential questions. This film should have won Best Picture in 1994. Those are strong words from Russ Waldorf. Um, Related to that one, Beth Sneed, she wrote... I love it. It captures the monotony of winter so well. It was something that Ramus and Murray mm. both knew firsthand. She lists several reasons why she loves this film in her piece. Uh, but one of the ones that really stuck out to me is her last one. She says, and you know, Rita is a sweet geek who doesn't have to change one bit, not even her clothes, you know, realizing that she wasn't staying in Puxatani overnight. She is not perfect, but Phil comes to love her exactly as she is. And that feels really rare in the movies. Yeah, I mean, so where do you think? What like what holds you back? I don't. Let's do it. It's on. Ground wow. Day. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. All right. This All right, is great. We're making moves. All right. Now we have uh two more films to talk about here. Uh right? We do. Uh, yeah. we do. Now, we do. Yeah. Now there okay. were there were two more on my list that I put up that you did not put up that we should mm-hmm. go through. Um the first one was Brokeback Mountain. I really wrestled with this. And I think the reason why I wrestled with this was only because I was so into every one of the romance films that we did that I think I looked at that that category with a very harsh eye. Like I, we could yeah. only bring in one. And, and, and that's where I wrestled with it. Now, if I'm talking about representation and I'm talking about expanding our worldview a little bit, it's got to be on the list, right? It's got to be. But I also wrestled with the fact that I think it was the first. And I don't know if it's yeah. the best. I think it is amazing. And again, 
the caveat is it's a great movie, but I think there are better stories that we have yet to do on this show than that. And I will say the reason, one of the reasons why is I also would love to see someone who is gay direct that film or tell that story or, or not that that means that you can't do that, but I would love to see the difference, the differences in, in that. Is it something that I can like the performances there are great. The direction is great, but is there something that's maybe a little bit more truthful? Is there something a little bit more, you know, not inside baseball, but something that is a little bit more personal that that's where I was wrestling with it. That's really at the end of the day, I was like, this broke the barrier, but I don't think it is the end all be all. I think that is a fair argument because I wouldn't want us to have this film on the list and then be like, we did it. You know what I mean? Here's a movie about two gay men, not played by gay men, directed by a non, you know, a non-queer director. You know, it's like, it just feels like there's like, to me, it feels like a little bit like that was the movie that needed to get made. So then movies like this get made. Yeah. So it's Uh, valuable and important in that way. Yes. But in the grand scheme of our existence, there's going to be so many better stories to tell. You know, you swayed me. I was going to fight harder for this. And it had a fair amount of listener support, 81.6%, which is not, that's fairly substantial. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it is the check it off, we did it, that I don't want to do at all. Right. Because you're right. You're absolutely right about this. I mean, I think it's beautiful. And I, I, this film, I think had such beautiful things written about it. Like our listeners do really, really admire so much of this film. I mean, many people said that they think this is Heath Ledger's absolute best performance. Um, I did notice can I, that can I, I, can I say one thing here too? Yeah. Like, and I, and this kind of negates my point, but I will also bring it up. Like, I think Call Me By Your Name might be better than Brokeback Mountain. Really? Yeah, but I think Moonlight is better than uh, all three of those. I would agree with that. You know, uh, and we haven't even talked about a portrait of a lady on fire. You know, I, like there, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of stuff out there. And even in the last year uh, that are, you know, I mean, could you put the favorite in there? I don't know. It's like, oh, I love like, the favorite. You know, uh, like there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff out there that I feel like we have not really even gotten into that world fully. It is true. It is true. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is even the people who raved about this movie, many of them said the middle's kind of lumpy or the middle kind of mm-hmm. sags. Okay. Well, and by the way, back. I just want to say, like, I'm not saying, and I really want to make clear on this, we can only have one. Uh, you know, I'm just saying, but I don't know if this is the, I think, again, it represents something that was important at the time, but I don't think will be the defining thing more than being the first, so kind of like in the Frankenstein idea. Like it's, it's something that is important, gets out there, but I think we are opening ourselves up to so many more interesting stories. I mean, I, there's so many newer stories being told in a, in a way that, you know, we're just getting to see different stories being told now by different people. I mean, and, and I think that that's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot more, personal stories and more interesting stories out there that I think can be put on this list. That's true. And you're right. There is a piece of me that wants a happier story that doesn't have to say like the world is always mm-hmm. doom and gloom. Yeah. Does that, I don't know. I, I don't like know. it. I yeah. like it. Yeah. Like I feel like the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s 
was punishing in the way that it treated like queer characters. Mm-hmm. I don't like to to emphasize the tragedy element of it. Absolutely. Um, I feel like that's where our culture was on a larger scale. And I'm glad we're just in like a people fall in love. Nobody has to die right. kind yeah. of mode. It doesn't and have I to wanna, be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. So it's gone. Um, and then the last one, uh, this is um, one of my picks. I was surprised you didn't pick this one. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Okay. So let me explain why I didn't pick this one. I didn't pick this one because it was also in the romance uh, category. And obviously it's a different movie than a typical romance. But there was something about it where, again, I was being a little bit harder uh, on the romance section because I liked them all so much. And I started to feel like, are all of our picks too much from like a certain time period. Like when I was looking at it, like I guess what I was feeling was Bridesmaids, A League of Their Own, Fury Road, Princess Bride, Back to the Future. Now those all are primarily, you know, they feel newer to me. And I felt like is Eternal Sunshine like also like lumped in there? Does it feel like we just did a clump? I mean, obviously there's a lot of time differences. I know it's like that's early 90s, Back to the Future's late 80s. and But it's like, is it all too similar? Is it the best Gondry? I think so. Is it maybe one of the best Jim Carrey performances? I think so. I think, uh, you know, I think, does it tell a story that we haven't really heard? Like a really amazing breakup? Yeah. Like there's so, I mean, I also loved, I mean, we're talking about like a depressing love story. I also liked A Place in the Sun a lot. Oh, you liked it? Oh, I'm so oh, glad. I love I loved that movie. I, you know, but I, so I wrestled with it. I wrestled with it and I think that Eternal Sunshine for me got knocked because it felt, uh, I don't know. It just felt like it was, I was, I couldn't separate myself from it. I couldn't feel like, oh, I, I wanted to be not like the AFI list people, yeah. but I'm, I'm open to being psyched. Yeah. I do love it. And I think it's a beautiful movie and I think it's great, but yeah. Well, and that said, I mean, we still barely have any films from the 2000s. When we had mm-hmm. the AFI list, the only one they had was Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. So even if we add, we could still add right. like 20 to the films right. from like the last two decades and they'd still just have proportional representation more or less. Yeah. Not that we should, not that we should, but I don't think we can, I don't think we should feel so guilty about it. I mean, about this one in particular, like to me, Eternal Sunshine stands out as one of the top five films of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, I adore it. My only hesitation is I'm such a Kaufman head. But this being directed right. by, by Gondry means that I can I can have my eternal sunshine and make my play for Synecdoche and see if I get any traction on that. Um, I mean, I love Synecdoche. I mean, that like is one of my favorites. I love that. I mean, to me, it is like the human version of Inception. Um, and also eternal sunshine in our listener group had such ravenous adoration. I mean, this out of everything that we've named so far, this was the number one audience pick um, of everything that we didn't agree on. 86.3% uh, really wanted in. The uh, things people wrote about it, one of the commonalities was that everybody loved this film and was terrified to watch it again because it's so emotional. Samantha Glasser wrote, one of my favorites, for me, the statement about the movie is different every time I watch it. Sometimes I feel optimistic about their relationship, that they're Mm. fated to be together. Sometimes it feels like they're doomed to clash, but there is something beautiful about the conflict and the the fact that even if they're doomed to fail, they are an essential piece of each other's lives. And that even if they aren't meant to be together, they can create beautiful and happy and vital moments for each other. 
um, Riley German picked up on that same theme. He said, you know, I've cried at so many parts of this through the years. When I was in college, it was the end, the idea that they could just start over and probably end up hating each other again. Then I went through a breakup, the breakup, and it was all of the fighting and the needling and the side story of Kirsten and Tom and Mark. And this time it was the delivery of, I don't want this anymore. And I don't know if it's because of the care Gondry brings to Coffin's humanity or the pureness of two surrealists marrying perfectly together or my stupid mushy heart attaching this to my own life, but I don't care. Meet me in Montauk Aliens. And what really sticks out to me of those two pieces and what a lot of people said is that Eternal Sunshine is a movie that grows with you, that it changes on every watch, that you pull out different things, that it means different things to you at different stages in your life, which to me is the mark of like a truly great film, that it is not just a guilty pleasure that you put on because it makes you laugh every time, but that it it creates something different to you. The way that Back to the Future did, I thought, when we watched it. So I would put in a strong argument for for yes. I'm not going to fight you on it. I'm not going to fight you on it because (laughs) because I, I, I don't disagree with everything that people are saying. And obviously, this is a movie that people really, really love who listen to the show. So I, I, I don't disagree with it. I think your idea of like, well, we can get some more movies on this list that are a little bit more updated and current. And I, and I want Gondry on this list. I don't think there's going to be a better Gondry unless we haven't seen it yet. Um, I also think it's such a unique idea. And it's the reason why I would pick this over Inception as far mm-hmm. as like what, you know, we're talking about going into people's thoughts and, and the way that dreams and interpretation, like, uh, yeah. So this to me goes on the list. I'm going to put it on the list. Oh, Absolutely. That is wonderful. How about how about I sweeten the pot? Even mm-hmm. though I don't have to, you disagreed. Let's put Ganjan Hess on the list. I I like it. I like it and All I right. think I, I think this is a good I think this is a good argument and I think if anything it might make people go back and listen to that episode and watch this movie cuz it is clearly for the people who've watched you have to be up for it. It's it's a it is an art house art like, like art house with like a capital like a it's like it's not like art house like a little movie it's like it's it's wild start clean with clorox because clorox delivers a powerful clean every time because messes happen because i got the charcoal mask great because why would i put that on my face when i could drop it in my sink this is what i get for multitasking Ugh! why is charcoal so sticky Uh, hello hey janice i am so sorry i thought i was on mute (laughs) no we don't need to reschedule i'll just stay off camera oh yeah that happens so start clean with clorox use clorox products as directed whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style and you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. I love that we came back to Ganja and Hess. I love that we put this on the list. And now I want to go over to uh, Devin and Josh and see what they what they held. And I think one of the things that they put on their list, they both agreed on this, uh, that was not on ours, was the Royal Tenenbaums. So Devin yep. and Josh, pop on. All right, so Royal <laughs> Tenenbaums, 
Make your argument. We've talked about, obviously, is it the best Wes Anderson? Do you right. both think it's the best Wes Anderson? Or do you think that this is just out of this one, this batch that we've done, this is the this deserves to be on the list? Man, Devin, it really warmed my heart to see both of us put yeah. this movie. I do think it this like hits like a just just a, coming up in like a certain generation. I feel like it just to me the argument is is two things kind of with it. It's one, is it the best Wes Anderson, and two, is it like the most like influential or like culturally mm-hmm. important Wes Anderson? Um, in the for, for the first one of those, I think there's a strong argument for Grand Budapest. I think I think for sure the best example of like his early style and the style that he really broke out of that he eventually would kind of polish and, and make a little bit more like stylized right. and distinctive. Yeah. But then on the second score, I just feel like this is the movie that really broke him out in terms of like this is the movie that like in the cultural imagination, like the one that got the Oscar attention, the one that like I think I think really like defined him for a generation and influenced like all the filmmaker, all the Andersonian filmmakers that came after him, I think were doing riffs yeah. on Tenenbaums. Yeah, I mean, I'll say for me, uh, Bottle Rocket is my favorite Wes Anderson movie. And I'll go a step further. Bottle Rocket, I have said many times before, is damn near my favorite movie ever made. Because it's so light, it's so funny, all the comedy yeah. comes from the characters, it's just it's just del- a delight, and I'm very happy for that to just remain my own personal favorite. You know, I know that people don't agree with me on that point. I love most Wes Anderson movies. Royal Tenenbaums is special. Royal Tenenbaums is very, very special, especially for the age that I was. It came out just after 9-11, and yep. I was 21. And, you know, I went to go see it with all my friends. We were still spun. It was only like a month or so later And there's something about the faded glory in that movie that suited that moment in my life. And I can come back to it and feel it every single time. It Mm -hmm. never fails to reduce me to tears. That moment when Gene Hackman and Ben Stiller have that that moment Mm. when they've been at each other. That that, at the end of that long one shot. And yeah, I've had had a rough year, Dad. Dad. I'm going to start crying now just talking about it. I, I will say, yes, Grand Budapest is a more advanced style. Like, I mean, in every way, I mean, the the music and also all the frame, the changing of the different frame sizes and everything throughout it to denote where you are in the story and, it, you know, what flashback you're in. Grand Budapest is really, really fantastic. But I just don't know that from my perspective, you could pick a more perfectly Wes Anderson movie than the Royal Tenenbaums. That's just where I'm at. I Well, I will tell you this much. If I am picking a Wes Anderson movie and I'm not judging it on anything else, yeah, it's this movie. It's yeah. this movie. Really? I read this script. Oh, absolutely. Like oh, this is the script is beautiful. It's just everything about it I love. And I I don't know if you're saying this, Evan, so I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, go ahead. I can appreciate Grand Budapest Hotel, yeah. but I have a much stronger emotional connection to Royal Tenenbaum. I would agree with that hundred percent. Yep. Grand Budapest will hit me emotionally too. I do like all, all the details in Ray Fiennes' performance and the way it oh, ends yeah. and the entire framing device. I mean, it, it really it really kills me. It's not an easy pick, but I do think I think do think Tenenbaums kind of has the edge. Well, yeah. okay. What if I suggest putting Tenenbaums on with an asterisk? I'm very in favor of that. I'm very in favor yeah. of that as well. Okay. I was going to suggest that anyway. So that's great. All right. So that that is a good one. I mm-hmm. want to say that just so you know, because you guys can't see our full list right now, but we we did all agree. Uh, pretty much on Back to the Future, League of Their Own, and Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Uh, and everybody but Josh agreed on Princess Bride. And uh, and then Devin did not agree on Fast Times, Fury Road, or Tokyo Story. Yeah. Do you want to speak to any of those? Uh, you know? Well, I, I will. I'll, I'll launch straight in. Um, uh, motherfuckers, where is Clueless on this list? I, <laughs> yeah, so fast, Clueless fast. over Fast Times. This is what I'm saying. Now look. Okay. Now look. Uh, 
there are multiple directors on our list at this moment with sure. a couple that we've allowed a couple picks in there. Yes. Fast Times and Clueless are both very, very different flavors and approaches to the, the same kind of subject matter. I think they're both really valid in their own in their own way, and they provide a completely different uh, emotional connection and 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 everything. I mean, they're they're very, very different movies. I wouldn't say that it would be at the cost of Fast Times, but I think Clueless is maybe the best comedy of the 90s. Certainly the best cast film I can maybe think of. Every character in it is just fucking perfect. I, I had a heart. Clueless. I, I, don't I, yeah. dis- I don't really disagree with any of that. I added, I wasn't even sure if Clueless counted, frankly, but if, right. if, yeah. it, if it counts, like I, th- I think it's, it's kind of neck and neck with Fast Times for me. I mean, I love Clueless, but you have to say, when we're talking about the range of directors, comparing yeah. Fast Times to Clueless is not... 2001 a space odyssey no, to Doctor i'm not Strange, making that though. point i agree with you okay. i agree with you I'm, I'm merely sort of saying you know that if you're allowing a couple th- i'm only asking the question of where the fuck is clueless because it's such <laughs> not only is it such a good movie it's it's one of the most replayable movies on right. like that we've covered and, and i know this from road testing it myself you can watch it 20 30 times and it still is funny it still holds up you know i don't disagree with it i think to me you know, I was like Amy Heckerling, two movies about high school. One obviously is Emma and one is uh, is really almost like a dramatization of a documentary. Like, right. Yes. Like, so they are. And look, they I are, love Fast Times. I really, really love it. Yeah. I own the Criterion. I'm I'm all in. I love Fast Times. Yeah. But Clueless is, is special. I, I, none I, of yeah. you picked it. And so I just really wanted to talk about it. No, I'm glad that you did, because I do believe that this is like for me something I wrestled with. I was like, I really, really think this is like a special movie that people love. And, and I do, I am one of those people. I, yeah, I mean, me I, too. Like, I love it, uh, but oh, it's painful. I don't, yeah. I can't betray my principles. No, I have and that's, principles. And, that's fair. and I'm, I'm perfectly happy as long as I've ma- said my piece that I think I appreciate maybe that. the best comedy of the nineties. And I, I really, really love it. Well, Josh, okay. if we're talking about outliers, you're the only one who stood up for inception. That is true. That is true. Here's the thing. Christopher Nolan, one of the most distinctive, popular, and influential filmmakers of the 21st century. It's, mm-hmm. it's really hard for me to imagine a list of top 100 films without him somewhere on it. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and once, once, I, once I decided that, when it comes down to, you know, it, it's going to be Inception or Dark Knight, most likely, probably. And then, well, that was why I held it off the list. I was like, I think it's Dark Knight. And maybe if it's not Dark Knight, it might be Memento. I don't you know. know. I like, don't know yeah. if it's Dark Knight because, like, when we, I've been really following like our listener conversations about it, it is like strongly the prestige. Number one, weirdly, yeah. I would not have oh, guessed that. Oh yes, yeah. Prestige is like number one so far I with our listeners. Memento second. If you had asked me that, I'd have been shocked. I would have really thought it was Dark Knight. Devin and I watched the Prestige on my birthday this year. Uh, this I love the Prestige. You did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, a, a, a class, a classic. I love revisiting Memento. Yeah. Memento's one of it has a special place in my heart. It is one of the like first like indie films I really fell in love with. Yeah. That was that was a like entry point into me as a movie fan. For sure, but like Dark Knight. Dark Knight, to me, there are other superhero movies where I could make the case. There's like a lot of other superhero movies of that caliber we could put in that slot. Mm -hmm. But 
Which we will be doing eventually. We Which are we, going to do a superhero. We definitely will be at doing more superhero movies. Inception yeah. is just Inception is as Nolan as it gets in a way that completely that completely, completely works. Yeah. It's, I think it's I think the best realization of his vision is a film. Well, that, that's what I was wrestling with. I think the feedback on Inception really kind of swayed me. I really enjoyed Inception, and I'm like, but I also really love the Prestige. We did a whole episode yeah. of the Prestige Live at the Alamo Draft House, you know, and talked about that. Uh, I believe that Nolan should go on the list with an asterisk as well. Like, like that would be some that would be a that would be a battle that I would say like yes, I think Nolan does believe is on this list. I think yeah. that there are moments where he can be very pretentious. I think that there are things that, but there are something about his early work and there's something about his ideas that are just as interesting to me as Michelle Gondry. Like, I think you can say the same thing about Michelle Gondry sure. and Wes Anderson. Like, their ideas are so sometimes overtake the actual movie. Yes. Uh, but we're not penalizing <laughs> them, you know, but I think right. that because like Nolan holds himself to uh, a more like more a more suited, you know, but Wes Anderson's equally, you know, whatever. Oh, I, yeah. I, they're just they're yeah, pretentious true. to different types yeah. of movie. Pretentious. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Are you yeah, guys there's... trying to make the argument that you want to put Inception on the list with an asterisk? Because I will only agree with that if you give me one concession and I'm not even <laughs> sure yet. Ooh, I'm yeah. sure. What, what, what concession would you be asking for? Yeah. I would be asking to put Raising Arizona on with an asterisk. And I will be backing you. I would do that, up. too. I would do that. I would do yeah. that 100%. I mean, we're, we're putting asterisks on here and we're saying like what I said before. We're not we're not promised anything but uh, today. So or not. Yeah, even but if today. we got hit by a car tomorrow, if all four of us right. got hit by a car we tomorrow, at least got yeah. this on. Yes. Yeah. We can all stand by and say that we got a Coen Brothers, a, uh, a Coen Brothers, a, uh, a, a Nolan. Uh, Nolan. And uh, what was the other one? We just put an asterisk on it. Ederson. Oh, yes. yeah. And, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the Coen brothers are my favorite directors. It really mm-hmm. just comes down to like, I, I have my own personal Coen brothers ranking and racing Arizona is like number five. It's just, I love it. I love that movie, but there's just like, there are, there are enough others I would put above it that it couldn't, I justify putting it in my 13. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I had it on my list for this reason. I mean, regardless of whether or not, you know, we're going to eventually cover a different Coen brothers yeah. and, and use it. Raising Arizona is so good that it deserves to be there with an asterisk, even if it gets replaced by whatever Fargo yes. was serious. Right. We're not anything. saying it's going to get replaced by like, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, a Stephen Frears movie. We're saying, I mean, not, right. no, no offense to Stephen Frears. I'm just saying, but like it, we, Cohen's own a slot on this list. We know that the exactly. Cohen's own a slot. Maybe two. Wes Anderson owns a slot. Uh, yeah. We know that they own slots. That's right. and that's and that is fine. Just the way that, uh, you know, people said, you know, then I would make the argument that Solaris would have to go on the list, too, because I feel uh-huh. like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Tarkovsky is also okay, one of those. OK, OK, settle uh, down, everybody. <laughs> settle down. <laughs> no, but uh, but I do believe that though I, I'm, I'm fine with making that concession there. OK, so if I am recapping this correctly and I have to count on more than just my fingers, we are putting 16 films on the list out of 52 to close out season two of Unspooled. By the way, yes. that's about fair because we did 100 films and we got it down to 40. So True. half of 100 is 50. So, uh, you know, so we, we are, you know, we are basically doing less than, you know, less than 20. Uh, for the, So average wise, we are coming in underneath our average from AFI. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, okay. that's fair. All right. So then to recap, here are our 16 films on the list. Wait, wait, wait. One second. One second. I I have one other thing before you move on. I I would be remiss if I did not ask, and I'll phrase it exactly the same way. 
Motherfuckers, where is Alien? <laughs> I know, I know, and I thought I was going to get out of this. Because look, look, I wrestled with this as well. Yeah. Alien, Aliens, and The Thing. And I was looking right. at all of these movies, and then I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I mm-hmm. feel about this. And and then I was like, maybe, maybe I wait for like, does Halloween go on this list? I was thinking about Halloween. Well, and then I, you know, and I was like, I... And then I was like, is it the best Ridley Scott movie? I don't know. I still am wrestling with... I think it is the best Ridley Scott movie. Yeah? Is yeah. that saying a lot? Well, I, and by the way, Amy, I saw I was watching um, previews for his new movie. His yet, like, what, what is this? His 15th attempt at, like, a sword and sandal movie that no yeah. one ever goes to see. The man, And I went and looked at his filmography. There's, like, 12 of them. You're like 1492 Conquest of Paradise, like whatever. All these. I'm like, why he loves, do you keep he loves the future, it? the future in the past. Anything but the present. <laughs> it's so nuts. No, I mean, it really comes down to just Alien or Blade Runner. That's the question. Well, I mean, you wouldn't. Uh, so you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Or, 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 which Paul and I are still holding true to the fact that neither of us have seen it. And we will wait until the moment in which we do that as an episode. And I love that movie. And I'm very if that were to trump Alien, believe me, I'd walk happily into the sunset. But I'm just saying. Alien is so good. It's so lean. It's so taut. So perfect. Yeah, but the thing, though, I mean... You know, I was going back and forth. I really was going back and forth. I have to say, like, I personally uh, was having an issue with how much I like the memification of alien versus <laughs> the, and like and i love alien alien is a great movie like again this is like we're talking about like little things here uh oh yeah. god it's well, hard I mean, what it came yeah. down to me is like when i was watching alien i wished i was watching aliens and then when i was watching aliens i wished i was watching alien that's, and then i realized i didn't yes. need to see either one of them and that's <laughs> and and then i felt like i did enjoy the thing probably a little bit more and i've revisited the thing and i've showed people the thing and i also feel like the thing is not necessarily fully respected as much as those movies are but then i'm also like is is the thing also worthy of being on that list i don't know um also surprised that no one wants to give the martian any love because i do think that's it yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, i would i would i would make the strong thing argument just between like the the special effects and also just like the classical tightness of that story of the like the the, the guys alone in a room trying to figure out who like who the the, the killer is who the imposter is it's just like yeah. such such an archetype that i feel like has like resonated in pop culture down to like now, above us being a huge thing now i mean yeah i mean look and again john carpenter i believe is a filmmaker who gets on this list i mean absolutely like he's gonna get on this list and yes uh and and he's you know so he's deserving of a slot i just i think at the end of the day i was like i think if i mean again you know we talked about this wes anderson and the coen brothers Mm -hmm. i don't know if the thing is the ultimate is the ultimate one. I, and I, and I just, I'm, I'm still leaving that bad taste of alien in, in, in my mouth. And I guess my question is maybe we throw this to our listeners. Yeah. Are we totally wrong? Are we totally wrong here? Like what, what do you think? I mean, I, uh, you know, does, the, do we need, yeah, do we need, cause this is a, that, that's one that I think is worthy of a conversation, you know, and is it that, was a listener pick and it has been so popular. I, I will say that, like Amy said earlier, I personally will be playing the long game for Halloween. To end up on this list. Yeah. I will u- using any levers and pulleys at my disposal because I truly think that's a perfect movie. I'm also the only one surprised nobody went harder for Jurassic Park, which was number one easily on my list. Uh, but yeah, fine. It's fine. I, I think I think when I was looking at the, the scope of all these movies, it just kind of fell quickly. It was on my list. It was off my list. It was back on my list because like, well, I really fought for this. Uh, but yeah. yeah, Paul, you swayed me. You were the guy who was I like, know, oh, this should be on I the know. list. And then, well, you know, I, I think the reason why um, 
I think the reason why was because I was like, oh, are we going to replace Jaws? And when I saw Jaws wasn't on the list, I was like, huh. You guys were hardcore in that last wrap-up episode. Yeah, and then I was like, uh, yeah, there was something about... It was just tricky. It was a hard. It was a hard battle. And then I looked at ET. I went ET versus Jurassic Park. And then I was like, you know what? If that's, that's no the conversation, there's no contest. And so yeah. that's that's where I made that conversation or that decision. Yeah, I'm with you there. Well, okay. Well, you know what, guys? Mm. I just looked up and ran the numbers of our listeners when it comes to the thing. Um, the number of people voting yes on the thing is bigger than anything else we've done so far really? today on this episode. Wow! It wow. is ninety point four. Okay, so people vote yes. So we are putting it on the list. My side, yes. And by the way, like that—that was my thought, and then I only talked myself out of it because of the same way I talked myself out of raising Arizona and uh, and Royal Tenenbaum. So I think it Mm -hmm. has to go on the list with an asterisk. So we go up to seventeen. The audience has picked that one. That's the audience pick. That is the audience pick. You know what? That's great. The audience always gets a pick. And I'm and I'm 100 fine with that. But what about what about Alien? What were the numbers like on Alien? Not as high. I know that. Really? Well, yeah, yes. probably not. So goodbye to the alien. I'm blasting it out of the airlock. I'm making the call. <sighs> uh. <laughs> you just won so much. You just got so many concessions. Uh, uh, the, honestly, I would have given away anything because Ganjin Hess was my pick for last year's horror series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I've been happy all year that Paul keeps remembering it and really that it really connected with him because it did for me, too. And to find out that there was that much support from the people who did like it is Hell amazing. Yeah. And then to get the concession to at least put it on the list. I mean, that's incredible. And it really does mean a lot. You know, the, I think that movie is special. People that missed it really should seek it out. Check it out. Yeah. Find it and check 100%. it out. You will, okay. It's so, be so I'm up at for peace it. with Alien. <laughs> um, so we have 17 movies. Shall I rattle them off? No, I think we got. We just didn't. We just rattle them or no? Well, just I want to hear them all together. I want to hear right, them as a body of work. Back to the Future, Night of the Living Dead, Princess Bride, Fast Times, Fury Road, Tokyo Story, Hoop Dreams, League of Their Own, Bridesmaids, Groundhog Day, Ganja and Hess, Eternal Sunshine. Uh, a trip to the moon, and then with asterisks, raising Arizona, Royal Tenenbaums, Inception, and the thing. I'm down. Uh, that's Amazing. a solid list. Solid, solid list. Can I ask you both before? I mean, I should be taking my check and leaving, but I'm gonna ask why both of you did not pick Hoop Dreams. I haven't seen it since I was, I don't okay. know, fifteen, sixteen. I, I remember okay. really liking it. I just did not revisit it when you guys covered it this time, so it's just it. not as fresh in my mind. Got it. Okay. I, uh, I. I have seen it a semi recently. I love Hoop Dreams. Hoop Dreams is an incredible movie. If I wonder how many documentary slots ultimately make this list, and and, and then the slots it's, like how, what are what are the best documentaries? Is it the, yeah. one of the top five ever? It's it's just it's tough. It's a tough call. Well, yeah. to that me, like that, that that's what I was thinking too, like about this, where I was like. I was looking at it and going, is it one of the big, you know, like it's one of the we only did one documentary. Right. So it's on the list. And I think because it was different, it was definitely something that I was like, whoa, I, 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 li- I like it. I never had seen it before. Yeah. Uh, so that is probably, you know, it, it also felt to me and I'm I don't want to like get too like caught up in this, like a different conversation. Like mm-hmm. a documentary is a different conversation. Like, and not to say that they aren't films, but it's very hard to judge the quality of these things. Like, I mean, you could put, you know, obviously every story is different. I mean, Errol Morris has made amazing documentaries. And by not putting one on the list versus another, like Thin Blue Line, is that it? I think that's as important as Fog of War, you know, um, 
Hoop Dreams, I think, is as, you know, as, as important as like Grey Gardens. I think, you know, there's so I just watched this documentary uh, about 9-11 that was on Apple TV this week. The one with like George Bush and uh, George W. Bush and Cheney and everybody like and it was really fascinating, like regardless of politics, it was just a very interesting mm-hmm. like those are real events that are being told to you. And, and there was something about it where I was like, is it fair to include documentaries on this list. I don't know if I how I feel about that yet because I also feel like that's a whole other subsect of film. It's not that like... That is true. You know, sounds like a future miniseries to me. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, we could definitely talk about the best documentaries ever made. That's what but I mean. All, yeah, I, but I also feel like it... I, I hold documentaries to a different standard. Like, I don't think that, like, I love Becoming Bond. There's a great documentary on uh, on Hulu about George Lazenby. And it's, like, really, really well done. And it's, like, and, but, like, there are some that are so simple. Like, it's, like, what are we judging it on? The story of the doc? Right, or, like, the, the quality of the reporting the or, like, yeah, the format like, of it. I kind mm-hmm. of agree. It's just, or it's, like, a different art form. all of it. I mean, it's, yeah. like, well, with movies, you judge the quality of the acting, the quality of the script, the quality yeah. of the direction. Why is that True. much different? I just said yeah. there's something about it being... Real that makes it feel like it's hard like to you compare Im- that to bridesmaids, right? Like, yeah, how like are those I, two the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I know. What you yeah, mean. it's a hard. It's hard. I mean, it's like that's all. I mean, it's a it's a worthy conversation of saying like I don't know if docs can fit on this list because, but let's keep it on there for now. It's a conversation to be had because okay. I just yeah I just I think it's 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 just a just an idea, and I would love to hear what people think about that too because I do think it's a different type. It's like saying. I guess the way I feel about it is it's like comparing a play to a movie. Now, granted, they're both in the same form. They're both forms of entertainment. One is, you know, they're both shot. I granted like a documentary and a film are shot the same way, but they're very different art forms. Like they're just, you know, you can be a great documentary filmmaker and you can't make, and you wouldn't be able to make a great narrative feature. Or I don't know, there's something about it that feels like it's apples and oranges. And maybe I can't get over that. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, I feel like it's apples and oranges to me a little bit, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, I like the idea of us having this conversation in season yeah. three. I really do. And, and we'll now, get back to our a world without a Spielberg. I am so excited to bring in our guest for this episode, the specialist of special, special, special guests. Um, since we began this new era of Unspooled, when we started our goal of rebuilding the 100 best movies of all time, there has been one kind of person I really, really want to talk to. And that would be an astronomer from NASA who can help us figure out how we're actually going to get these films to space. And guess what? We've got one. Um, I'm so excited to bring in Michelle Thaller. Um, She's an astronomer and she's a research scientist at NASA. She's also the assistant director for science communication at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. And she is so generously giving us her time and brain power. Hello and welcome, Michelle. Okay, let's just jump right in. We have a giant question that's been hanging over our heads. We really want to send the best 100 movies ever made to space. So what do we need to know? What do we have to prepare for? 
there's so many ways that you could preserve something out in space. I mean, so, um, you know, one of the things that you might remember is back in the 1970s, we had the the, the two Voyager missions. And um, right now they are way past the planet Pluto. They're actually like more than twice as far away as, as Pluto is. And they're they're actually in what we now call interstellar space. They're, they're actually outside the influence of, of the sun's, you know, particles. And and so, you know, they're they've basically left our solar system and they, they each contain one of these golden records because back in the 70s what did we have we, we had phonograph records and so we decided to send if anybody ever finds the voyager spacecraft someday we decide to send them a, an lp basically yes <laughs> i mean you're right that's actually an interesting idea that how you send them today affects if they can be watched tomorrow and we're lucky that records seem like they're pretty self-explanatory i mean didn't they don't they have like an illustration on the record explaining how it should be played that's right. Yeah. I mean, and here we're talking about something that's only about, you know, say 40 years old. I mean, it's uh, it, and I mean, I, I think a lot a lot of people today, even the sort of a resurgence of you know a love of vinyl. I think a lot of people wouldn't understand how to play a phonograph record. But indeed, there's actually a little a little stylus, a little needle that's included with the package. And there are instructions if anyone can actually figure this out about how fast to turn the record to get the right pitch. And it's actually based on the vibrations of atoms. There's a little depiction of atoms vibrating and it gives people or aliens or whoever finds it an idea of how fast you should turn the record itself. I mean, that, that, that's kind of amazing. And, uh, and, and then on that record are, you know, greetings from many different languages. There's the sounds of animals and bird song. There are, there are many different uh, forms of music from classical to rock and roll. So, uh, you know, if, if anybody finds that, they, they at least have a chance, I think, of trying to figure out what that is. But I know uh, it'd be interesting to kind of give that to a bunch of like like really intelligent college students who've never seen a, a vinyl record and, and see if they could figure it out. <laughs> I know I'm picturing like, what if they had decided to go with a, with, I don't know, a VHS tape in the eighties being like, this will last forever. This is totally fine. Yeah. Well, so, the, so, the, so there's, there's a really good first example. So the first thing you need to do is make it something very durable and the, the plastic, you know, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the tape part of a VHS tape, I just do not think would hold up well to say the vacuum of space where it's going to be, it's going to be very cold. Uh, if the sun shines on it, it'll also be very hot and there'll be uh, high energy particles. There'll be radiation. And so the reason they had this, um, this, this, this gold record is, is that um, it actually gold does very, very well in outer space. It doesn't degrade much. And, and interestingly enough, one of our big launches coming up is the James Webb Space Telescope in December. And the mirrors are actually coated with a, with a thin layer of gold, even though these are giant mirrors. You know, they're, they're seven times the size of Hubble's mirrors. But even so, it's the gold coating that we think is going to make them hold up really well in space. I mean, also, it probably looks pretty cool. Oh, it does. It's absolutely beautiful. It's actually, it's funny. I mean, it's a giant telescope. I mean, the thing's like two stories high, but it only has, I think it's like somebody said it's about a golf ball sized volume of gold because of course it's a very thin plating. Uh, so so we, you know, we could send them on some kind of a very stabilized laser disc, some kind of a DVD mm-hmm. that would uh, would hold up you know, or, or, or maybe a better way to do it. I, I know when we send uh, spacecraft to Mars these days, uh, or Venus even, we, we often ask people to, to write in with their names or greetings, and we put them on little microchips. 
So, uh-huh. you know, there, there, there might be a way, I, I think, I, you know, the, the Mars Perseverance rover, uh, I, I know sent a couple million names, including mine, you know, saying, hello, you know, these are all the people that, you know, were inspired by this mission. So, you know, some kind of, some, some type of maybe solid state format, some type of microchip. And uh, I mean, with today's really amazing chips, I'm sure we could definitely put a hundred movies on one. Yes, we could do that. I bet we could. Yeah. I mean, like some of the ideas that we've heard, like somebody recommended beaming the film data into the sky. Um, Ah. Some people have said, you know, maybe your best bet is like piggybacking onto a rocket launch or piggybacking onto like a satellite launch or looking for something like, um, you know, the Peregrine mission time capsule that was headed to the moon recently. I mean, that those are a ton of ideas. And I'm also wondering, like, do we think moon orbit or beyond? Yeah, yeah. So they, I mean, so you're talking about very different things. So beaming them into the sky. So basically just having, you know, a, a digital broadcast of these because famously, you know, the the, uh, the 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 world has been broadcasting radio waves. Say, I think it was like since the 1930s. You know, the the, the big first uh, radio transmission was the Olympics, and uh, or television transmission. And so, you know, those have been now heading outwards at the speed of light. Oh my gosh, the contact introduction. <laughs> Sorry. That's right. Sorry, exactly. We were just talking yes. about that. Yeah, yeah. Comfortable because yeah. oh, that was uh, in Germany in the 1930s. Yeah, that was the, the first sort of major <laughs> television broadcast. So, but all of our stuff. I mean, everything from I Love Lucy to you know, Mork and Mindy to, you know, you know, all the stuff that's on now. I mean, that's, that's all, you know, that, that's all been being broadcast into space. I guess these days with things like Fios and laser ner- networks, there's probably a bit less actually being broadcast. It's more uh, coming in through our, uh, you know, our fiber optics, but, but all of that now has been heading out for 30 light years. Um, the closest star to us is four light years away. So within 30 light years, we're probably picking up, you know, Hey, a couple dozen stars now. I kind of like that option, to be honest, because <laughs> that, that feels like the option where where the aliens and the humans can both kind of discover it as needed. If it's one chip that might make it harder for the, the one person to find it, it feels more like a heist movie. Like, can you get the chip from that person who's got the chip? Well, exactly. So, I mean, I mean, something like Voyager is so tiny compared to the distance, say, to the nearest star. I mean, I, even though Voyager is going extremely fast, I mean, I could look up it exactly, but let's say it's, it's, it's about, like, like say, 37,000 miles an hour. You know, even though it's going, you know, that fast, it, it's going to take tens of thousands of years to get to the nearest star in the direction it's going. So, you know, how are you going to find this tiny, tiny little thing? But, but then the thing you have to remember is that they're broadcasting. They're giving off radio signals. And those radio signals would have a very mathematical, artificial feel to them. So if an alien civilization happened to be looking with radio telescopes, they, they could probably pick up. Yeah, okay, there's, there's something that's coming from over there that's very strange. So it's not even just a question of who would find this tiny little thing drifting in space, but if it's actively broadcasting as it, as it goes, someone might see it. I mean, that was why we put the, the golden record on it. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, talk about a, a needle in a haystack, bottle in the ocean, needle in a bottle in a haystack in the ocean, whatever. I mean, it's, it's a really small chance anyone would ever find it, but it's not zero. And so the, the, the disadvantage about beaming something into space on a, on, a, on a television signal is that that television signal will get weaker and weaker and weaker over distance. And one way you might get around that is instead of beaming it on a television signal, which would be like either a, a microwave or a radio signal, uh, you could beam it on a laser. 
You know, we're, mm. we're actually working on laser communication now at NASA, where instead of having, you know, something broadcasting in radio or microwaves, a beamed focused laser could communicate, you know, all over the solar system. And maybe if we, if we sort of had, so you could, you could beam a laser into space and it would, that would be a stronger signal that would hold up better over distance, but then you have to aim it somewhere. So you, mm-hmm. you got you got sort of a pros and cons here. You know, I, I just a broadcast <laughs> radio signal will go in all directions in a big sphere. It'll go all out from the the Earth like a giant ripple into space, but it's going to get dimmer and dimmer and weaker and weaker as that ripple expands. With a laser, you could keep it together more. It would be you know more power that would eventually arrive at say a distant planet, but then you'd have to actually aim it at that planet. So let's take a real guess. I mean, it seems like yeah. there's some promising planets very far away. Well, it's funny, you know, I mean, it, it's not that I'm trying to necessarily, uh, you know, talk just about what James Webb, but, but one of the things that's coming up is uh, Webb will have the first time to tell whether planets around other stars have atmospheres like our own with, say, oxygen, water vapor you know, methane, yeah. carbon dioxide. And so, I mean, one of my things that I'm really looking forward to is, is I mean, seriously, like in the next five years, we could, we could point at a star in the sky and say, that star has a planet that has oxygen and water vapor, you know, and really? what if we find something, what, what if we find something like chlorophyll? I mean, I, I'm not kidding. Or, 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 or what if we, what if we find something like pollution? I mean, well, what if we can say that star has a technology around it? Because, I mean, this is artificial pollution we see in the atmosphere. Um, th- that, that could happen in the next, you know, few years because of the James Webb Telescope. And then maybe we aim our, our, our laser signal at them. I just want to be alive for that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean... It's so wild because it's like hard to think about the work of what NASA does and even what discovering an alien would be like without translating it through the movies, you know, which may or may not be true. You know, I'm thinking about all the way back to something like, you know, a trip to the moon, shaping our images of what travel will be like. Like I heard that a trip to the moon helped in part inspire just the idea of a rocket and what a rocket might look like, you know, 50 years before we were blasting them off. The, the idea that the the um, the people inside would have been weightless, you know, and they were sort of in this padded environment, you know, th- that was like the first time people had really seen that or thought about it, that on film. So, uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, even though it was, you know, this kind of wonderful fantasy, it, it started to get people thinking about, you know, really, I mean, what, why are they weightless? You know, what, what what's going on? And, uh, you know, think, just something that simple gets people's imagination going. And then and pretty soon we're thinking, well, why can't we have satellites that we bounce signals off of? Or, you know, I mean, I mean, and, and, and life, like you said, I mean, I, you know, a fun sort of alien horror movie is always kind of nice, but I, I mean, that's obviously not what I think is going to happen. I mean, I think first off, we're going to find um, probably, you know, bacteria, something kind of small, whether it's on, I mean, these are all the places we're looking for life right now. Um, Venus, Mars, the, the moons of Jupiter and Saturn, all of these places have the possibility of environments that could have life today. I'm so happy and, to, for you to say the Venus thing. Like that would just blew yes. my mind that we're thinking now, oh, wait, maybe we have missed something on Venus. So with Venus, it turns out to be in its atmosphere. And then this was really a surprise because famously, you know, Venus's surface is literally hellish. It's about a thousand degrees and the air pressure is, is so intense that it's like being a mile under the ocean. It will crush you flat. 
And so you look at that and you say, okay, well, that's not a great you know, place to go looking for life. But then up in the atmosphere, just this last year, there seems to be a, a real strong signal coming from a molecule that on Earth is only produced by biology, by life. Now, we don't know exactly what the chemistry of Venus is like. So there's always the possibility that Venus has some way to cook this up that we've never thought of. It doesn't involve life. But, you know, we have high altitude bacteria on Earth here. And on Venus up in the atmosphere, it would be cooler, sort of more of a gentle environment. They could have bacteria up in their atmosphere. So, you know, I'm rooting for it to be bacteria. We don't know yet. And so we're, we were sending uh, some missions. We, we, we just, we're starting to build them just this year. The, uh, the Da Vinci mission is actually going to have a, a sphere, a probe, that's going to uh, fall through the atmosphere of Venus and then take a really good look at the signal, this, this chemi chemical signal, and see if we can figure out what's going on. We talked about contact. I mean, I always like the idea behind contact that if, if aliens really did want to interact with us, they wouldn't be so clumsy as to cause us unnecessary fear and pain. You know, all, all these alien abduction sort of horror stories. Instead, Jodie Foster doesn't, I mean, she's just taken to some sort of artificial environment where she is comfortable and safe and the aliens only interact with her through her own thoughts and memories. They, I mean, they, they, they actually say to her, it's like baby steps. So it's not time for you to really understand what we're like yet. Because the, the implication is they're like multiple dimensional. Like they, they know about space and time in ways that would just blow our minds to bits. So, you know, I, I like the idea that it was a gentle encounter. But the uh, but of course, the, the disappointing thing is she never saw an alien. <laughs> she, she only saw, you know, uh, people from her own memory that were, were talking to her kind of, you know, through the voices of the aliens. So that was, uh, that was a little disappointing. Yeah. I mean, is that a space movie that really affects you I, I would love to know like your favorite space movies i mean which i feel like is a range you know what you think is the most authentic or what do you think is your personal favorite well i, I did like contact because um among other things i thought jodie foster's depiction of a scientist was just spot on and i was kind of wondering who she worked with because you know at the time i was a, a young woman astronomer and you know i'm, I'm a little younger than jodie foster and she had like my hairstyle and she had sort of the way that I would talk about something. And like, she goes off to, to this, this <laughs> dance where she has a, a date with Matthew McConaughey and she gets this great dress. And I was thinking, I love that dress. I, I mean, she, <laughs> and, 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 and not only she, she seemed to get sort of what the, the, the scientists that I work with are more like, you know, we're, we're not just these crazy freaky people. I mean, I mean, whether or not you like the show, cause it was certainly funny. You know, I, I was an astrophysics postdoc at Caltech, which means I was like, Sheldon, right? And, uh -huh. and, and you see that depiction of a scientist, and you're like, uh, no, you know, it, it's, it's a lot more like Jodie Foster. And, uh, and actually, the other thing about that movie that, that I thought was freaky good was the fact that in order for these trans-dimensional aliens to, to, to basically bring her to their station, um, the, uh, the spacecraft had to be in free fall. There, there was actually a mechanism that dropped a little ball, and, and they caught it in a net. And the aliens could only connect to her as the spaceship was freely falling. That actually is so deep as in physics that I was just like, oh, yes. I mean, I, I think they had some physics advisors at Caltech because there's, there's a very special thing about being in free fall that the rest of the universe's curvature can be flat. So I thought that was just I was like, oh, my God, I can't get that. I can't believe they got that right. <laughs> so I, mean, the, so I, yeah, I do like that movie. Um, I liked um, I liked Arrival. 
was that um, mm-hmm. was that Amy Adams? I'm trying yeah, to that was Amy Adams. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really nice about how the aliens didn't hide. They were just like, here we are. You know, we're here for a good reason. And then it turns out they had this whole different way of doing linguistics that affected our idea of time. I thought that was wonderful because um, time and space, it's now becoming very apparent, are not how we perceive them as humans. We're we're just too limited. I mean, it's kind of like trying to teach, you know, trying to teach quantum mechanics to like a a cricket. You know, I mean, it's just not going to happen. The cricket doesn't have the capability. And we're now realizing more and more that an advanced civilization might very well experience space and time differently than we do. And uh, that's uh, that's an exciting idea, but difficult to depict in fiction because, you know, I, I can't explain to you what it would look like because I'm, I'm just a little three dimensional creature. You know? <laughs> no, but that makes me think that movies are good preparation vessels for all of us here on Earth because they can try to experiment at least with time and they're. I think of movies as like empathy machines. You know, you've learned how to try to step inside somebody else's brain or somebody else's mindset and something like Arrival introducing you to just like, here is a completely different way of thinking, unlike what we think of here on earth. I think that's good preparation for all of us, you know, to, to start getting used to the idea that what we might discover has nothing to do with how we've imagined it being, you know, that we're not to try to break out of the limitations of what we can see. So we're past the Jodie Foster having to learn about science from the ghost of her father to like, really, can we identify with the seven legged creatures in Arrival? I like that. Yes. So so what are some of the movies you would put up there? What what do you think needs to be preserved? Well, I mean, that's a part of what our debate has been, you know, is are we showing a representation of everything that was here on earth? Or are we showing our personal favorites of the things that are here on earth? I mean, ideally all of our owner depicts will satisfy both categories, but it is tough. Sometimes you feel like you're doing a bit of either or. It'd be something where, you know, would you want people from many different cultures, backgrounds, um, you know, economic backgrounds, uh, you know, would you want them to have a say in it? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the, the really wonderful movies that have been made more, more recently by indigenous people. You know, Mm -hmm. do you want to have that voice or do you want to have sort of, you know, these were the top 100 classic Hollywood movies of all time or the most artistic and, and, and who would, who would make that decision? Yeah. The idea that art represents the best of what we do here on earth is something that I, I believe if if not the best, at least tied for some of the great stuff we do. Our food is pretty great and our science is amazing, but (laughs) I do feel like art is a way of introducing what we created here on earth to the aliens or reminding future humans who we once were. And I would like our art choices to have some sort of uh, power where they thought, you know what, they did some good stuff down there while they could. I think now the discussion of, of how you can minimize the impact of, of things like um, colonialism and, and, you know, and, and, and sexism and, you know, I mean, all of the, these things, I mean, when I think about even the golden records of, of Voyager, which they, you know, they, they did try to have on, you know, on there. They, they also sent some images too. you know, they sent some preserved uh, photographs of, of people from cultures all over the world. The, the record had music from all over the world, for example, but I, I bet if you were to time it and I, I probably, I probably could, I could probably find out sort of, sort of minute by minute what's on the record. You know, we, we probably have more things in the Western tradition than not. And the two people that are depicted on the uh, on the gold uh, record, the etching, they're, they're, they're a man and a woman. 
they're they're naked, which I think was an interesting decision because I, I guess you know that's the one thing that will probably be consistent in the future is how we look like naked. They are obviously Western people. They're they're obviously white people. And it's the man that is stepping forward with his hand raised. And I I remember uh, hearing Carl Sagan say that that decision that only one of them had the hand raised was actually just meant so that the aliens didn't think that that was a a permanent feature of our anatomy, that we we had this (laughs) hand. They both had their hands raised. But, um, you know, but still, it kind of seems like the man is in a more active pose, even though I I think that that Carl Sagan did try to, to, to sort of moderate that. But, you know, I mean, how, how would we try to have a representation that was, you know, more encompassing of what this planet really is like? Gosh, it feels like no matter how we think of it, it will always be some sort of a time capsule of... That's right, a time capsule of our own perceptions and to some degree, our own prejudices. So, you know, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm thinking about some of the... I, I really love the movie The Fast Runner, which was entirely in uh, the Inuit language. Yeah. Um, you know, there, you know, would, would we try to sort of show how people lived in the past or should it be something where it represents just the present? You know, it's uh, th- there's so many wonderful ways you could try to choose 100 movies. And, uh, you know, like like you said, I mean, movies would probably overemphasize things like war and conflict. You, know, you mm-hmm. need a plot. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's either that you've got like Betty Davis and all the women being catty and, you know, to each other, or you've got, you know, bridge over the river quiet, we're all shooting people, you know, will we try to depict the way more daily life is? Oh, or can we do everything? <laughs> if we <laughs> no. have a hundred, can we do everything? We, we obviously can. So the question is, what's our priority? Yeah. And, and like you said, if it's for future humans, so it's not about beaming it into space or sending it out of the solar system, but say, you know, think about something like a smaller version of the book Foundation, where in the book Foundation, Isaac Asimov, you know, there's somebody who foresees that civilization is going to come to a huge collapse. And they try to make a time capsule of, of all of human knowledge so that people emerging from the coming dark ages. And in, in his imagination, it was a galactic scale of dark ages. But they'd have something to get them started again, something to inspire them. So, you know, if you, if you went to the moon, yeah, you went to the moon and you hollowed out a capsule and you're going to put movies in for humans to become inspired again, that might be a different set that you'd pick. Maybe you would minimize the war and the conflict and have more movies about like Akira Kurosawa's dreams about Vincent van Gogh and, you know, and spirituality and peace. Michelle, you've given me so much to think about. (laughs) Do you think that this is a crazy idea. Oh no, we've we've done far crazier things. This sounds it looks it sounds like a lovely idea. I mean, it's a beautiful idea whether or not it ever works. I mean, it, it's kind of like Voyager, right? I mean, I the chance of anything ever picking up Voyager again is 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 infinitesimally small, but it's not zero. And I love the fact that we had this wonderful little moment of beauty where we said, "How would we greet creatures that we know nothing about?" What would we want them to to know about us? And we sent them music and we sent them greetings of peace and, and we sent them images of women, you know, with babies and people of different colors and, and hair textures and, you know, and, and geographic locations. And we, we, we tried to say hello in a peaceful, beautiful way. And I don't I mean, in, in the end, that was something worth itself, even if it, nobody ever sees it again. The, the, the one of the big cultural misunderstandings is that science and the arts are separate. And in order to be a good scientist, you have to have an active imagination. 
and, and you have to be a little bit, um, what's the word, a little bit anti-authoritarian because I mean, the whole point is you come up with your own ideas. And um, I, I find that most of my friends in science love musicals, movies, arts, you know, uh, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's much, much more common. It, it was, it, it's a cultural tragedy that anybody ever said that those, there was a, a left-handed or right-hand side of the mind. It turns out that that's not even scientifically true. And, uh, you know, there's, there's no such thing as the art side and the logic side. It, it's, it's all the same. Oh, I love that so much. You're right. Why do we have to pretend like our brains are at war? Right. And that some people do this and some people do this. Yeah. No conflict at all. This has been such an inspirational conversation. Thank you (laughs) so, 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 so much for joining us on here. I hope we come up with a list that makes you uh, proud. makes you proud (laughs) to have it be ambassadors of modern movies. I love that. I think it's a beautiful idea. And I wish you all the best. Let me know if NASA can help. Oh, oh, we will. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I just want to say thank you so much to Michelle Thaler for being here. Uh, Once more, she's the Assistant Director for Science Communication at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. And that telescope she was talking about, the James Webb Space Telescope, that gold-plated, blinged out, amazing uh, projectile that sounds like our best invention that we've got yet for the potential of discovering life on other planets that launches in December. I cannot wait uh, to figure out whatever that's going to see. I'm so excited. Boy, it's really nice to feel like you have something to look forward to. That is a really great feeling. Um, I'm on pins and needles. I really want to check back in with Michelle later. Uh, All right, back to the show. As we move on from the end of season two, Josh, can you just play a little sad music? I think I'd like to read the titles of the movies we're saying goodbye to. Some in memoriam. Okay, here we go. Mean Girls. Stand and Deliver. 400 Blows. Rebel Without a Cause. Cooley High. Dazed and Confused. Frankenstein. The Babadook. Eve's Bayou. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. The Farewell. Home Alone. Dog Tooth, When Harry Met Sally, Chungking Express, A Place in the Sun, Love and Basketball, Brokeback Mountain, Hoosiers, Good Riddance, Brian's Song, Cool Runnings, Chariots of Fire, Galaxy Quest, Contact, mm. Alien, Aliens, Apollo 13, Jurassic Park, Men in Black, Speed, The Fugitive, the Hangover. Wow, some great movies on that list. Some great movies, and I'm sure people are like, "Wait a second, how did you, how did you cut those off?" But uh, we did. We did. Goodbye. Um, well, this has been great. Uh, a lot easier than I thought it was going to be, and uh, you know, now we go on to season three, starting back off with a topic that we feel like we just scratched the surface of, which is horror, and we got some great great horror movies ready for you. Do we want to reveal uh, the first one on our list? Well, I'm excited to get into horror and we are going to kick off season three with a film that we have been talking about since season one, since like our third or fourth episode ever of season one, when we did William Freakin's The French Connection and we're like, goodbye. Why is this the, fr- the William Freakin on this? We want to do the William Freakin, The Exorcist. Yes. Oh, it is time, man. We. It is time. Are you ready to eat some pea soup? 
I am. I'm actually nervous going into it because I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to love it. But I like I've seen it and I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to fall. And like, I'm like, I'm a little bit I'm less excited about it than I would think to be. So this is where I'm coming in. So let's see if my opinion changes. Oh, OK. All right. That is a chilly, frosty. Uh, you can see Regan's breath in the bedroom reception for this. Uh. <laughs> well, then that's going to I guess we're going to kick off season three with uh, Haunted Paul. Possessed <laughs> by the demons of not knowing if he likes this movie. I know. There we go. Um, all right, everybody. So uh, great list. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Devin. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And I want you to continue the conversation in our Discord. Uh, so get in there, get it going, and on the Facebook group as well. So, Amy, we'll see you next week for another shot at horror. That's all for today's show. And remember to rate and review this show. Tell people about it. It really, truly helps. A big thank you to our super producer, Josh Richmond, and our audio engineer extraordinaire, Devin Bryant. Thank you guys for making this show sound so amazingly great. And our MVP behind the scenes, Molly Reynolds, for making sure that this show runs on time and that we have our research at hand. I also want to give a shout out to Kim Troxell for her amazing art. And if you want to keep this conversation going, please do so at discord.gg slash Paul Shear. There's an unspooled section there where we have debates and votes and polls. We also have our Facebook group, the Unspooled Podcast Facebook group that is still an amazing place to be. I want to give a huge uh, shout out to everyone in all those forums for keeping these conversations going. And I also want to let you know that you can head on over to tpublic.com to check out our Unspooled merch. That's right. Go to tpublic.com slash stores slash Unspooled to see what we got in the store. And that's all. We'll see you next week on Unspooled. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean Every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.